Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Volquist.com podcast with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. The podcast, as always, brought to you by our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. You can check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com, on Twitter at bluehto underscore climate, or give them a call at 865-299-2290 for any and all of your heating and air needs. Jeremy and his staff at Blue Water Climate Control will take great care of you. They'll send uh, a roof a service technician out, not a salesperson out to look at your problems and to address what you need. And uh, we'll get uh, you taken care of with whatever you need as uh, we bounce back and forth between uh, warm weather and sometime maybe some cold weather, hopefully not, but it's probably going to happen. Uh, but anyway, get your system ready to go for the winter. Give them a call today at 865-299-2290. No, notoriously hating cold weather. Brent, you should love global warming. I, I, I do not like cold weather. I have my reasons for not liking cold weather. So I'm enjoying 80 degree days in November. And we hope that those days continue. It was very nice in Fayetteville on Saturday night. Did not, uh, did not need a jacket, just a light sweater vest and an open air press box, which was uh, um, a, a nice evening. Not the ending that any Tennessee fan was looking for in an ugly football game. And we'll jump off and start there as we put a bow tie on that. Um, Rob, upon rewatching and looking back at it, Austin as well, give me your top two takeaways from Tennessee's four straight loss. Well, I mean, I guess one thing, I mean, you certainly hammered on it. My top takeaway would be, you know, what happened at halftime or what didn't happen at halftime to, you know, to come out and look like that, you know, on both sides of the ball. And I get, you know, Jarrett got hurt, but Jarrett wasn't responsible for, you know, making tackles or stopping Arkansas on third down. Uh, so halftime adjustments. And then, you know, secondly, the, the quarterback position. I mean, just – I know, I mean, it's a popular topic, and, you know, I don't think Jarrett was great or anything, but seeing what you had behind him half more than halfway through the season, I, I think that was, that was kind of alarming. For me, it was the fact that Tennessee's offense is, is not creative at all. I mean, it was – it just has no wrinkles to it. I mean, yeah, I get they have some nice run game wrinkles, but I mean, there's just no creativity, nothing that makes you go. I mean, like if you're a recruit, if you're an offensive recruit, if you're Ty Simpson or whoever, and you watch that, how how, how do you get excited for that? I don't, you know, and I and I know new players can change how the offense is run, but just hard to watch that and get excited about Tennessee football. Do, do you think that? that that is all because of Cheney's lack of trust in the quarterback. Because, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt acted like on Monday in, his pre, Monday in his press conference. He wants to be more aggressive. He wants to be, I guess, more creative, take more shots and all those types of things. Jim Cheney, I think the reputation is he likes to throw it around a lot. We've all talked about how he gets pass happy. And now all of a sudden it's like Cheney's Mr. Conservative and Jeremy wants him to be more aggressive, or at least that's the way it could be interpreted from Monday. Do you, do you think the, the, the offensive staleness just is, is just directly tied to the inefficiencies at the quarterback or lack of trust at the quarterback spot? Well, I, I think – Coach Cheney's offense, while has been super productive for years and years and years, I'm not sure it's evolved with time. And when you have superior athletes, then I think you can you you can make do with it. I mean, you know, when he was at Georgia, he had a really good offensive line. He had great running backs, a very smart, intelligent quarterback, and 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 
adequate enough at the time receivers. Um, you know, here, you know, I, I don't I, – the offensive line is a push at best to what he had at Georgia. The running backs aren't nearly as good. This group of receivers, while, might, while it may have upside, they're not playing the upside to the receivers. So I, I think part of it is just kind of a, an offense that it, – it's not out of date. I don't think that's the correct word, but it's not evolved enough to stay up in the times of modern day college football. And, and you, you watch it and you watch, you know, Ole Miss play offense or, or Clemson play offense or, or some of these other high octane offenses, Alabama, it, it looks totally different. And I get, they have some better players, but at the same time, Ole Miss don't have better players and they just run all over the world, you know, throwing it all over everybody. And that's with a quarterback that, you know, Matt Corral's okay, but he's even like he's, you know, some guy that's setting the world on fire. So if you're, if you're, let's just stick with the offense and you're Tennessee, you're, you're Jeremy Pruitt, you're Jim Chaney, you got four games left starting with Texas A&M. You're not going to be favored in three of those four um with, with A&M Auburn and Florida all expected to to beat Tennessee as the favorite in those games heavy favorites what what do you do I mean what do you do offensively at this point I mean you know if you went into the art let's just say and I don't know this but let's just say you went into the Arkansas game with the idea of hey win that one beat Vanderbilt find a way maybe to steal something at, at against Auburn or whatever and you get the thing to five and five Okay, maybe that was a thought process. So we're going to play conservative on offense. You know, we think we can run the football down their throat. They're not very good defensively. Keep it a low-scoring game, blah, 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 blah. That's at the window. Rob, you've talked for several weeks about the quarterback change because you're like, what's the difference between four and six and three and seven? Okay, so where you're at right now, if you're Jeremy Pruitt and Jim Chaney, What's your offensive approach for the rest of this season, starting Saturday with Texas A&M? I mean, I don't see any downside to playing Harrison Bailey. I mean, you're not going to win that. I mean, first off, J.D.'s in, in concussion protocol right now, and who, who knows when he'll return to the practice field. So he's not getting game prep for Texas A&M. I mean, I think this – I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you can get Harrison Bailey, quote, unquote, ready by Saturday, but you can give him some – immensely valuable first team reps and just start to find out what you have there. Give some, give fans some hope going forward. Let, you know, I know that's not on Jeremy Pruitt's to-do list. I mean, that doesn't factor in, into his decision-making, but yeah, I mean, I'm getting Bailey ready. And again, especially because JG's missing time this week. Here's what I know. The fans are pissed. Understandably so. But if you roll out there and you go, let's say they go one and three, which means they go three and seven overall. But you play Bailey the next four weeks. And he shows you just the least little bit. Fans are going to be less pissed because you're trying something and you're playing a guy that they all want to see. And then they can look, judge for themselves. Okay, Harrison Bailey, I can see the future there, or he's got a long way to go. And, you know, right now they don't know anything. And so I think that, you know, while you can't do everything for the fans at the same time, I, I just think it makes sense. And Rob's point about, you know, what's the difference between four and six and three and seven. I agree with that, especially depending on, you know, if you, I just know the staff though. And, and if JG passes concussion protocol on Friday, he will play Saturday. 
Oh, I totally I would be shocked if he doesn't. Oh, I agree. I think we all agree with that. I mean, I think that's already been proven out there. Let me ask both of you this question. We, you know, obviously, as you both have said, you know, the fans are, you know, that they're going to be mad anyway. I agree with the point you're making, Austin. Uh, I, I think it's a good point. I think it's a point you'll see from me uh, a little bit later in the, in the in the week in a column that I've been working on. But let, let me, and, and this is part of the column too. I'll go ahead and give it away now, but let me ask you this. How important is it not just to show the fans some hope, but how important is it to show recruit some hope and to show guys on the and and to play young guys on the team to try to keep them from being restless with the idea that we may even see a flood in the transfer market nationally come January. Yeah. I think that's as important a thing as there is. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when Trey decided to come back, everybody said that's Jeremy's most important recruit for the 2020 class. Don't disagree. Same thing here in a much more broad, bigger scope is I know the feelings of the staff on Malachi Weidman and Jimmy Holiday and Jimmy Callaway and D Beckwith and Morvin Joseph and you can go right on down the line. But when you see tweets like Beckwith had on Saturday, where clearly he was frustrated. He's an 18-year-old kid who thought he was going to play, felt like his time was coming, and then he didn't play. Well, you get to January and they decide to pass this thing, you're going to really struggle to hold on to some of these freshmen or sophomores that are have some discontent about the fact they didn't play that much this past year. So it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a wild, wild deal if this one-time transfer waiver passes, even, even if it don't pass in the SEC. You know, you don't think that, you know, Malachi Weidman could go back to Florida State or, you know, somebody else could go to North Carolina or Clemson or, you know, Louisville or wherever. I mean, it's all very real. And so, uh, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head. That's going to be something where you really got to show some of these guys on your current roster some hope about playing here and staying here. Unusual times, isn't it, Rob? Well, it's unprecedented. I mean, I, I think – I mean, it's, it's not just going to be Tennessee. Right. It's, and then they pass that rule. I mean, it's going to – there's going to – it's going to open the floodgates. I mean, I think it's going to be – I mean, it's going to be fascinating on one hand, and it's going to be an incredible headache for folks like us to, <laughs> to try and keep up with and document. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting for sure, and, and that's another element that coaches have to think about because I think most fans see the transfer portal as – hey, I can go in and, and grab my guy out of free agency to fix whatever problem my team has, and they don't view it as what they might lose off their team, which is, is obviously um, not, the, not the way anybody approaches it. It's like, oh, you know, is, is this guy leaving or is that guy leaving? Most fans see it as, okay, if we can go get a pass rusher, we can go get whatever one or two things we need, then all of a sudden, bam, we got a chance to win the league or we got a chance to win our division or, or whatever the case. So – um, th- that is certainly going to be a new wrinkle for sure. I got, I got a, a, a nuts and bolts question. I don't, and I don't think there's an answer for it. What is the NCAA going to do, or are they going to do anything about the 25 per year number? Say, if you sign 23, you're actually holding two spots for a transfer, and you lose seven guys. What you know? Do you get do you get an opportunity to, to you know sign to get up to to 85? Or how are they going to handle that? You know that's going to come up. Do that. I think they're just going to say you got to 
you know, get some transfers of your own. I don't think they'll change that 25 number. Or they're going to say you can back count them. You know, you can potentially back count them if you, if you don't. I mean, I don't think they're going to change. There's some people out there who think, and it's a good question, Rob, who think that they ought to eliminate the number, the, the yearly number, and just say, hey, you've got 85, and you got to stay under 85. And that way you can compensate for transfers. So if you have a rash of guys leave your program, then – Yes, you could sign and under that rule. You would be able to sign 32 to, to get back up to 85. I don't know that that's any, you know, that that's really realistic to ever become an issue to pass. But there are some people who say, look, just give the overall number to manage and eliminate the, you know, the, the 25 annual deal because of what's going on with, you know, part of the issue with back counting too. So many guys are midtermers, you're signing at an early date. I mean, it's hard to back count you know, and, and, and do that the, the way that you used to be able to do some of those things. So, um, I, you know, I think that's a proposal that some coaches have out there, uh, but I don't think that's anytime close to happening. So I think for now it's going to be, you got to deal with it as a 25. And if you come up under the 85 number, then hey, you should have done a better job keeping your guys on campus because you're going to end up with the 85 number. Now I'll say this, there may be a lot of guys going to transfer portal who end up with not what they thought they were going to end up with, you know, in terms of school options out there. Um, oh, I agree with that. And I don't, I'm, I'm not saying Tennessee. I'm just saying nationally that you're going to have more people in the transfer portal than people have spots that they want to give up for transfers. And also, I mean, think about in a co- year, year when a program has a coaching change, how many guys are you going to lose? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean it, 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 that's why a lot of people are not for the one-time transfer waiver. There, there are some administrators around the country that are not in favor of it. There are some coaches around the country the more they look at it, that are not in favor of it. Um, but that's something that I think as a coach, you better be preparing for the last month of the season in particular, because right now is the time where guys really get restless uh, because they, they're, they're tired of practicing every day, Austin, and not getting to play. And all their, all, their, all their guys at home are sending them texts, hey, I saw the game on TV, didn't see you, hadn't seen you all year long, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and guys start to really get restless on the back half of the season, the last third of the season. Well, it's always been that way. To bring it back around to Beckwith, not that, like, your your star ranking or that matters, but I think in the mind of a kid it does. I think, you know, Beckwith looks up and is like, I was a four-star. And Jabari Small is just a three-star. I'm bigger. I'm faster. I'm stronger. How's he playing over me? I don't understand. And, and there's a disconnect. So – you know, I, I think that that goes for a lot of these kids. More, you know, Danico Slaughter started the first game of the year, and he plays special teams now, and that's about it. You know, he's gotten a few garbage reps in there over the period of the season. But this is a kid that played almost the entire first game and started the first game of his college career. You know, same thing, you know, Morgan Joseph played some there for a stretch, and then now all of a sudden he's not finding the field very often. You know, Tyler Barron plays quite a bit. Jalen Knight plays quite a bit. Holiday played more this past week than he's been playing. Callaway's not playing a ton. Weidman's not playing at all, you know. And, you know, these are some guys that in mentally they feel like they should probably be out there. All right. Look, I don't disagree with that at all. Let's flip it over and talk about defense, some nuts and bolts uh, defensively. Um, look, they've got they got issues on, on the defensive side of the ball. They've got problems in the middle of the field. Is it just safe to say that, that they just can't fix that issue? I mean, six At games in. I mean, you. I would have. That's that's the way I would have to go. I mean, you're. 
you've got a pretty big body of work to look at now. It's it hasn't gotten cleaned up from that open tonight in Columbia, South Carolina to to now. Also, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I mean, Jeremy was asked about it, you know on Monday. I mean, <laughs> just don't seem like they have an answer for the middle of the field. You know, I mean, like. It is. It's it's a bit befuddling because I've never seen them since they've been here and Jeremy and in, in the year two with DA have this kind of like and yeah they've had moments where like you know maybe a position was a moment a part of weakness but not like the entire year where like they just continue to you know get beat at the same thing. You think that if Alante's back healthy that they roll with Alante and Bryce and Theo Jackson as the star. And continue with Flowers and McCullough. Is that is that the secondary you think of record? I feel like it's going to be because they they haven't taken a chance on any of those other younger guys. Certainly feels like that's the way that they're going at this point, right? Yeah, and I mean, like, I think you know, Saturday it took till you know, as Jeremy said, we had to defend it up pretty well, but then we didn't handle ourselves very well in the scramble drill when they hit the the deep touchdown, and McCullough got beat. You know, again, McCullough's got turf toe, broke toe, whatever you want to call it. Point is, is he's got a hurt toe. He's not the fastest guy of, uh, you know, on the team. So you add in, you know, that type of injury, he's going to become even slower. I just don't know what, how it, you know, I don't know how it behooves you to keep him out there unless, you know, he's coming in spot duty or an emergency duty. Like, why would you not want to get him held up a little bit? You know, Rob, I couldn't – and upon going back and watching the rewatch of the game, I, I, I'm surprised it took Arkansas to the third quarter to get into the slant game. You know, I mean, they, they were just – they were kind of – they were just goofy in the first half with some of their stuff. I mean, they were trying to be too cute with a bunch of different things. It, it was really surprising to me that it took them until that opening drive of the second half to, to, to kind of get into the middle of the field action that has given Tennessee so much trouble – um, I mean, I, look, Tennessee's defense played pretty well in the first half, but I think Arkansas helped him some, don't you? Sure. With the way they called the game, yeah. I mean, I thought maybe I think trying to be cute was a, a good way to, you know, good good way to put it. When if I'm playing Tennessee, just the the seven yard slant or whatever is way up on my call sheet <laughs> in the in the top three, and I was surprised that it took them that long to probe because you know, I mean, if if we're sitting here talking about it on a podcast, you know, it's got to just jump off the screen when you're watching all 22 game film and, and and you're a college football coach that does this for a living. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I was, like I said, and, and I, you know, I think I thought Tennessee played pretty well defensively in the first half. Um, I thought Arkansas helped them certainly. Uh, but, but I thought Tennessee played pretty well, but this is a different challenge this week. I mean, no offense to Felipe Franks and, and the Arkansas deal. I mean, Texas A&M's got some legitimate running backs, Kellen Mond's playing the best of his career. They get tight ends that can do some things. I mean, this is a much this is a much more daunting task defensively to slow down Jimbo Fisher's offense than what they faced this past week. And really balanced too. And run the ball. They're, they're second in the SEC and running. Um, they're fourth or fifth in, in passing yardage. I mean, they they come at you in, in a lot of different ways. And I, you know, Mond's been all over the board in his career. Didn't have a great start to the season, but he's playing at a pretty darn high level right now. Yeah, taking care of the football, you know, doing a nice job taking care of the football, which has helped them out as well. All right, um, let's go back big, bigger picture here because everybody wants to know, you know, what nobody knows what happens. Where, where do you think 
Um, what do you think the psyche of this program is and, and this team is right now? I mean, do you, do you think they can get off the deck and, and compete? Do you think they will get off the deck and compete moving forward? Or do you think this team is that, – that Jeremy's in a situation where his biggest challenge right now is, is kind of keeping – keeping keeping it on the on the forefront and keeping it about one game at a time and and not letting guys get caught up in all the big picture speculation that people are throwing out there everywhere oh i think you've got to really close off close up ranks and and you know try to keep them tunnel vision because you know i don't think you can get caught let them get caught up in you know the what ifs and and you know what could be coming down the pike and you know if you know what could happen over the next four games you really do have to keep this about one game at a time. And I know that's coach speak for some, but in this instance, I think you really have to hammer it home, um, you know, uh, and, and try to see what you can do and see if you can get them to gel together. They've not gelled together to this point. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that it'll happen, but uh, you got to do everything in your power to, to attempt to get them to do that because, uh, you know, it. I don't know if it's, you know, changing the offensive philosophy, if that gives them more juiced and, all of a sudden, it, it, it helps, uh, you know, the collective 85. Um, but, you know, obviously this offense is, you know, a struggle bus. And then, you know, defensively, you know, it's they have their moments where they make a play like the fourth quarter, you know, and then they have their moments like the third quarter where they, you know, look like the three of us trying to go and try to tackle. You know, 257 yards of offense in the third quarter. I didn't That's, have a fir- And didn't have a first down offense. No, I, I mean, that was just – that's mind-boggling. It is. It is. I mean, somebody asked this in the chat, and I, and I don't think it's a case where Jeremy in the fourth quarter said, "Da, I'm in charge," and, and all of a sudden he changed up a bunch of calls in the fourth quarter. But it is bizarre that they look totally different in the fourth quarter in terms of how they how they played at the line of scrimmage and how they got after people. Uh, I mean, because it wasn't like Arkansas was just running it running it into the you know into the line or running off tackle. And that was it. I mean, Arkansas is still throwing the football yeah, t- through the third quarter. Had four sacks in two yeah. series. I mean, what? And I mean, somebody asked a good question. Why? I mean, how did that come about? I don't have an answer. Do you guys no. have a thought? I do not have a thought. I, mean, I don't think it's as simple as Jeremy taking over play calling. Because I mean, I I think as we all you know, as, as everybody knows, I mean, he's pretty hands on with, with the defense all throughout the game. But that was. Uh, I mean, they, they got their stinger back. The offense never did, obviously. But, the, I mean, the defense did what they had, you know, what, what they could in the fourth quarter. Just another collection of unknowns and maddening things, right, Austin? Well, it is. I mean, you know. You just, I mean, because, I mean, I, I get I'm, – I'm, I'm weary of a little bit, I mean, interrupt you, weary of just saying, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, when you talk about the fourth quarter, why the defense showed up, I don't know. Why they're not showing up in the, the start to second half, I, I, I don't know. I can't explain. You, you, you go know? back to early in the fourth in Tennessee, or it was maybe it was about seven or eight minutes to go in the game, actually. And they had back-to-back plays where the ball goes on the ground. Um, and, and they didn't recover either one of them. If they had recovered the first one, they'd have had the ball at, like, the 12-yard line. You know, I mean, little things like that that have went against them. There you were know, and, four fumbles. Got them all back. Yeah. I mean, it, that's unheard of. And yeah. It's, it's crazy because down the stretch last year, Everything they, made, they made every play they had to make to win games. Now, maybe they were ugly wins. Okay. Maybe it wasn't pretty. They didn't score a lot. It wasn't sexy. 
but but this team found a way to make every critical stop they needed to make or, or to make every critical conversion they needed to make to, to, to move the sticks to win a football game. Well, but you got you had Nigel Warrior, who was an all-SEC performer. You had Daniel Batuli, who was calling the defense and, and allowing a pretty good little young freshman beside of him to, to kind of, you know, build on his own. And then you had Daryl Taylor. I mean, you take those three guys away, you know, that – that that's a big difference in the defense. And I mean, again, not to keep harping on the offense, but you go back to the end of last year and what you just said is the hundred percent truth, Brent. It ain't like they were winning these games 35 to or 38 to 35. They were winning them 24, 20, 17, 14, and these low scoring affairs. Look at college football, look all over college football. If you're not scoring 35, you're falling behind. Oh, Brent, Brent, you had a great stat. What, what was the stat about winning the SEC two times this year? Yeah, two teams. In all the games, teams have won without scoring 20? Yeah, there are two SEC win, or two wins in SEC games this year where the winning team had less than 20 points. And Georgia beat uh, Kentucky 14-3, and A&M beat Vanderbilt 17-5 to open the season. And, and everything else is, you know, 21 or more. You know, most of them are 30s and in the 40s that, that are taking place. And by the way, this A&M team has scored over 40 points, I think, in their last three outings or three of their last four outings. So they're certainly they're certainly putting up putting up yeah. a lot of points. You, that, you've got that, 10 left. You got a you got a Florida team coming in in four weeks. Just put 44 on Georgia. I mean, yeah, it's you're not going to win with this. I mean, I don't Tennessee not going to win those games anyway, but that just shows you where the bar is in, in this league offensively right now. All right, all right, as we get out the door here, um, a couple of things. Rob, I want to ask you a couple of basketball things in just a second. But first, Austin, as we get out the door on the football stuff, from a recruiting standpoint, we see Caden Salter. He seems solid. Terrence Lewis said and all the right things on social media. Does it is it as solid as it feels right now? Does it become more of an issue moving forward? Or do you think Tennessee's with the committed players that you think they're holding okay right now? Well, Tennessee certainly feels like things are holding pretty steady right now. Uh, and you're right. Most of it, I mean, I've not seen anybody put anything negative out there. Most everybody is, you know, frequently po posting positive stuff, you know, but at some point the other shoe drops if, if you don't start winning some games. I mean, like some of these kids are going to look up and go, man, am I really going to go up there and they're three and seven and have no pulse? You know I mean? Like it, it, one would, you know, would like to think that, you know, a group of kids takes a chance on Tennessee, but th that doesn't normally happen. So like, you know, these other schools are going to continue to recruit and drive home the point that Tennessee is a dumpster fire and things are falling apart and, and everything that all schools do to other schools when they're having seasons like Tennessee's having. So um, it's important to try to find some type of momentum here these last four games to uh, stymie any negative recruiting that is going on. Not being able to get in a home, not being able to go on official I, visits, help or hurt Tennessee? I think that that honestly helps because schools cannot go into Dylan Brooks' house and, and make their pitch. And he, you know, he can go over there and go on campus if he really wants to. But, you know, I, I just think that the opportunities for schools are f way fewer than what they would be if, you know, this was a normal recruiting cycle. So I think it helps. Now, the caveat that is, is Tennessee doesn't get them on campus, you know, on their own. But again, they loaded up early. 
And we thought at the time, at the time we're like, there's no way that they don't let tech visits take place. And then this thing continually drags out and all of a sudden <laughs> doesn't look like anybody's taking visits anytime. Yeah, certainly not. So interesting thoughts on recruiting there. I think that's uh, something to keep an eye on. I, I think your thought on not being able to take visits is, is um, I had not thought of it that way. I thought of it the other way, but I think you make a compelling point that it could be ironically of a benefit to Tennessee. All right, Rob, let's talk hoops. They're going to play. Schedule's almost done, sort of done. Two not more completely games. announced. Got two more games coming, and they're going to be against? Pretty poorly kept secret. I think Gonzaga and uh, Notre Dame, it's pretty common knowledge out there. Uh, the Gonzaga game is an ESPN event, so they're going to make that announcement on their own sometime. But that's Rick, whether ESPN, because that was the Jimmy V Classic, and but Rick and Mark Few go way back. You know, they used to, you know, scrimmage each other in the preseason. They were going to play that game no matter what, without, with or without ESPN's help. So the only thing is the, the only news will be where that game is going to be at. And then they'll add one more game, and both of those will be the first week of December. All right, let's talk about this team. Vibes on this team have been good. Uh, although they've been dealing with some COVID stuff, I know they haven't necessarily had everybody out there for an extended period. They've of time. had a lot of absences, a lot of absences. So but, where, where, where do you think this team is in terms of being ready to play? I mean, I think that given that we're still, you know, almost not, not quite three weeks away from the season opening, I, but I, I think they're going to be ready. And I also think that, you know, everybody's been dealing with stuff. So I don't think Tennessee's completely behind the eight ball there and, and man, I just can I mean, I, I don't want to like pump the, the hype train a whole lot, but I mean, the AP rankings came out today. Tennessee was number 12. And I, I, and I don't have a great grasp of what everybody else in the country looks like, but I, I think 12 is too low. And I think this is a top 10 team. I think you bring back an all conference player in, in, in John Fulgerson. And I think you bring, you know, you bring back the SEC defense player of the year in East Ponds. And I'm not sure either one of those guys are going to be the best players on the team with the, the kind of freshman. Uh, with the buzz that you're hearing about the freshman. I mean, people people who are generally conservative that I've talked to a lot are talking about Keon Johnson in a way that I have never heard anybody on, on that campus talk about a basketball player. Well, we'll see how he practices, Rob. If he don't practice, he don't play. So <laughs> he's gonna, that's he's just a campus play. rule. That's a campus rule. <laughs> he's he going to play, AP. He's going to play. And, uh, I mean, I think Rick, Rick's got a great problem, man. I mean, I hear, you know, going – the, the three the three guys you hear the most, I mean, like, Santiago Viscovi would, would win an award for most improved from everything I've, I've heard. Josiah allegedly looks a lot better, like way more flexible, way way better lateral quickness-wise, and just, you know, healthy. Um, Keon and Jaden living up to the hype. Keon exceeding the hype that he came in with, even as a five-star. And um, I hear they really like what they feel like they're going to get from EJ Anasicki feel like he's he's going to be beyond solid and um i think it's going to be i think rick's going to have a lot of flexibility in how he how he plays I mean, i think he could play fulkerson you know at the five josiah at, you know when, when eve comes out play josiah at the four you know with some combination of keon victor bailey Jaden, um santiago out front i think he could play maybe play ease at the three with ej and and Fulky down low if he wanted to go big. I just – I mean, I think he's going to be able to really mix and match depending on the night, depending on the, the matchups. I'll tell you what, I'm going to get out of Anasicki. 
I'm gonna get you on the golf course. That's exactly I, what I'm gonna do. I may have 18 and, and, holes in me. And and, and and hold on a minute now. I, this is like when you go to a restaurant and you go, "Hey, what's good?" And then the, the, they say everything. No, no, Rob. Rob, you got to give us something negative. So, you, you just painted like the most glasses overflowing picture. Where's the negative the on this? Well, I mean, I think they, I think they might have trouble dealing with with big time size. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, how many teams out there in college basketball have a seven footer and a six foot ten guy at the four? Okay, the way they play these days i mean if, if they run up against somebody you know I, they might see that against gonzaga i mean I, I think they might have trouble on the boards against really big teams and um because for everything fulgerson does well he's he's not a plus rebounder even if anasiki is you know a double digit guy over 40 minutes that's rebounding and defending really good competent skilled size would um would be a worry but again you know how many of those dudes are out there and if they are they're probably a freshman and they're one and done. So, you know, they're not that they're, they're not the complete package. And while I think it's a really good thing that I've been told that they have maybe four guys, they feel good, feel good about playing point guard, maybe even five. I'd feel better if they had one who they knew was the point guard. So to you recap, know? eat the chicken, eat the filet, avoid the meatloaf on the menu <laughs> of the whole basketball team. Or in your case, avoid anything green in the side department, right, AP? No doubt. Green beans <laughs> or, or no pink, or, or pink, or even a little bit red in the meat department. <laughs> no, that's hey. not true. I eat medium rare steaks. Now, come on now. <laughs> when did you start doing that? He's grown Years greatly. Ago. He's grown greatly. I tell you what, the end of this podcast is like going to Austin's house and meeting Santa Claus and giving out your wish list because Rob Lewis has made you feel good about everything in the world of Tennessee basketball. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.